0: Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. And all of you who are joining us online, we're so grateful that you're a part of our service today. Thank you for worshiping with us and for all of us on all of our campuses that are in person. We're so grateful that you are here and a part of this time. Francis last fall was 75 years old. And it was getting colder. It was uh, uh, at night and then in the, in the day, a few cold days. And so she tried to turn on her heater, but it wouldn't work. So she called the heat and air guy, and he came. And, and as it turns out, it was a very minor thing. In five minutes, he had it fixed. He didn't even need any, any extra parts. It was just an adjustment, and now the heat was back took five minutes. So after he had fixed the heater and he went down and talked to Francis, he, he explained to her what had happened. And then he said, uh, and my bill will be $100. And she said, $100? You're only here for five minutes. You didn't even need any parts. What are you charging me $100 for? And he said, well, we, we have this minimum of, of a one hour fee for anything that we do and, and it's $100 an hour. And she said, couldn't you make an exception for me? And he said, no, ma'am, I don't have the authority to do that. I can't do that. And she said, okay, wait right here. She went to her garage. She brought back a rake. And she said, now I want the other 55 minutes. Get out of my yard and start raking my leaves. And did you know he did it? He did it. He said, I'll never do it again. But I was so scared of this woman. This morning, I want to talk to you about when time runs out. We're going through the book of Daniel, at least the first half of it, first six chapters of the book of Daniel, and in a series that is entitled Standing Strong. This is a tough book. This is an in-your-face kind of book, and we've seen this all through this series. In chapter 4, God does something in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar to get his attention that I, at a length, I had never, ever seen anywhere in the Bible. What a startling chapter in chapter 4. But now we come to chapter 5. Next week is the end of the series on Mother's Day. But chapter 5 takes place 20 years later than chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar has long since died. Other kings have come and gone. And now, Belshazzar is the last king of the Babylonian Empire, and he is about to die. In fact, chapter 5, he dies that very night. Now, this is the place where individuals who, who, who like to be critics of the Bible for a long period of time would, would use to mock people who believed that the Bible was God's word. The reason is because archaeological digs in the Babylonian area had only uncovered so much information. And the information that it uncovered d- suggested that the last king of Babylon's name was Nabonidus not Belshazzar. And so there were individuals who would, who would take that information and say, you know, I've been trying to tell you the Bible's full of errors, and this is a great example of it in Daniel chapter 5. It says Belshazzar is the last king of Babylon, but archaeological digs show that Nabonidus is the last king of Babylon. Well, that lasted that, that uh, criticism lasted for only a few years. And there was an archaeological dig, because the digging continues there, in which it changed everything. So let me give you a little history of what happened. King Nebuchadnezzar was the king until he died. But when he died, his son became the new king of Babylon. His son was not a strong leader. His son had no, no, no business becoming a king. And about two years after he had become the king, he had done such a poor job that his brother in law, the husband of his sister, assassinated him and became the new king in Babylon. He was the king then in Babylon for four years. Until he had contracted some illness, some, something had happened that caused his death. And when he died, his son then became the king. But his son was not a good leader. His son was not a good king. And nine months after his son became king, Nabonidus assassinated that king. Nabonidus was uh, the, uh, the, the biggest general, the greatest general of the army of the Babylonian empire. And he decided, I'm really tired of these weak kings. I'm tired of having to follow the orders of these individuals who don't know what they're doing. And so I will form a coup and we will take over this kingdom. And that's exactly what happened. He became the new king of Babylon. Well, he loved making all the decisions until a while after a few years, he got tired of all the administrative work. He still wanted to be the king, but he got tired of all the administrative work. And so he came up with the idea that he would would assign his son to be co king of the kingdom of Babylon. And then when he was gone, his son would reign and rule in his absence. Now, Nabonidus was a guy that loved travel. He he loved to explore. He was sort of an historian in some respects. He would love to go on expeditions and see places that he had never seen. He was a writer and he would actually write about the experiences that he had. And all the while he was on an expedition, his son was acting as the king of Babylon. And what was the name of his son? Belshazzar Nabonidus was actually on an expedition history now shows when the Medes and the Persians came against the city of Babylon to overthrow Babylon you got to think that uh, they would have thought when they arrived at Babylon and saw what an incredible fortress it was they would have given up hope but they seized that city. They, they were trying to overthrow the city for two years. It took them two years. And finally, they discovered the weakness, and they conquered that city. Now, when they were in the process of all of this, Nabonidus returned, knew nothing about this, what was going on. And when they recognized him, they arrested him. And I don't know whether they killed him or they just imprisoned him. I don't know which one it was, but it took him out of the mix of being the king of Babylon and now his son, Belshazzar, is the only king left. Belshazzar, history shows, what the Bible had taught was the last king of Babylon. And on this day in chapter 5, Belshazzar is killed. So here is the reason I go through all of that with you. There'll be times in which you and I will face individuals who will tell us, why do you believe the Bible? The Bible's filled with errors. You know what I've discovered about people who say that? I have never met one person who have said that to me who had actually read the Bible. <clears throat> what happens is, is that people read what somebody else wrote who had read what somebody else wrote who read what somebody else wrote. And they take it as though it is somehow Authoritative. But the truth is, all these critics of the Bible, I, I just dare you to find one who's actually read the Bible. Well, I have read the Bible. I've read the Bible through many times, and you have read the Bible. And the truth is, those things that appear to be mistakes, you just don't have the end of the story yet. When you get to the end of the story, all of a sudden, everything comes clear. God is the author of the Bible. But God actually wrote two books if you think about it. At least at least theoretically speaking, he wrote the word of God meaning that he led what these authors would write so that what they wrote is what he wanted to have written. But God is also the author of the book of the universe. He is the creator of the universe. All truth is God's truth and one day all of science will finally catch up with God's word. But you gotta give science some patience because it takes a while to finally catch up with the truth of the universe. Do you realize that all science is? It's the study of the universe God made. And the day will come in which science will finally align with God's word. I would suggest to you stick with the word of God. It will never lead you astray. Well, here are the Medes and Persians. They have surrounded the city of Babylon and now they're going to uh, overthrow that city. Uh, When I was studying uh, and research about what had been discovered with archaeological finds around the city of Babylon, I was pretty amazed. And in fact, I, in my research, had written down some numbers, and then uh, uh, about a week or so ago, I started thinking about those numbers. Are those, did I, is that really true? I went back and I checked again. So you do the same, it's fine with me, but here are the numbers I found. The height of the wall around the city of Babylon was 335 feet high. I know, how is that even possible? I'm talking about the height of a 30-story building. The height of the wall around Babylon. I'm amazed by it. The width of the wall of Babylon was 85 feet wide. It was so wide that they were able to take two chariots and at full speed, two chariots going in opposite directions could pass each other on top of the wall that surrounded Babylon. That's the shocking thing about what they have unearthed in the city of Babylon. It is absolutely shocking. It's amazing. Inside the city, they had enough food stored for 20 years. It didn't make any difference how long that they, they, the, the armies of some invading army would surround that city. They it, it didn't care. It wasn't a problem at all. They had an endless supply of fresh water because they had built the city of Babylon across a part of the Euphrates River. So they had a total flow of fresh water on a continual basis inside that city. How in the world they did all of that, I don't know. But it was large enough, they could could grow crops and gardens, they would would have fresh fruit on a continual basis. There was nothing an invading army could do to conquer this city, except for the fact that God had said it would be conquered in Daniel chapter 2. And conquered it was they discovered the weakness of the city and that was that Euphrates River that was underneath the city. And so they dammed up the water further up, they caused it to dry up, and the army came into the city of Babylon through the riverbed of the Euphrates River. When God says something, He will make sure it comes to pass. Now with all that story, I want us to understand what happens and what God is teaching us. And the first principle that he gives us is simply this. A lack of self-discipline will always lead to wrong decisions. There's another title that I wish I would have given it. A lack of respect toward God will always lead to defeat. And that is exactly what is happening in this story. Archaeologists tell us that in the city of Babylon, it was so huge, it was so magnificent, it is unbelievable that there was one building that had been built that was large enough that you could seat 10,000 people in a sit-down dinner and feed that number of people at one time. I'm stunned by it. You just imagine with me the size of of the building that would have to be. Oftentimes when we think about Bible times, we think of, well, you know, they're so primitive, they're so backward, they're not anything like us, they can't do things like we can do. But actually they had amazing engineers, they had amazing uh, archeolo- I mean, uh, uh, architects that could design any building you could imagine. It was absolutely amazing what former civilizations can do long before our science scientific civilization emerged and there was a building just like this and that's the building where the story takes place in uh, Daniel chapter 5. In Daniel chapter 5 Belshazzar the last king of Babylon is it knows that the Medes and Persians have surrounded the city but he's not a bit afraid he already knows there's nothing they can do to us there is no way they can get into this city and so he has, on this particular night, a party. And he invites a thousand of the, of the key leaders around the, uh, the city of Babylon together to join him in the party. And the party has all of the revelry you can imagine. They were drinking an endless supply of alcohol. They were doing all the things that were done in those parties in that day. And all of that was happening in this building. They were under siege, but they didn't care. What Belshazzar had forgotten is that God is God. The Bible says in Galatians chapter six, verse seven, don't be misled. Remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. You will always reap what you sow. And Belshazzar had forgotten that truth in his own life. While they were drinking and partying in that room, All of a sudden Belshazzar has a thought and he orders for someone or someones to bring all of the vessels that had been taken from the temple in Jerusalem and bring it into the room. I want you to think back decades before Nebuchadnezzar had led for the conquest of the city of Jerusalem and they tore down the the walls around Jerusalem they tore down the temple of God and they gathered all the stuff that was in that temple, all of the vessels that had been dedicated to God all of the furniture that had been dedicated to God, they took all of it and they took it back to Babylon and put it in storage as full of himself, and as egotistical as Nebuchadnezzar was, he never touched, he never dared to touch those things out of the temple of God that had been dedicated to God. Even Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't go that far. There was something in Nebuchadnezzar's heart, and we've seen it as we've gone through this this book together, who had a respect for the God of the Jews. Even though he didn't honor him until he went through trouble and he he had no other choice, he still had this respect for the God of the Jewish people. He would never cross the line. Well, Belshazzar did. And Belshazzar called for all these vessels that have been dedicated to God, and they began to drink alcohol in those vessels and they began to mock the God of the Jewish people. And listen to what Daniel says in Daniel chapter 5 verse 23. As he speaks to Belshazzar, he said, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets of his temple brought to you and you and you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze and iron and wood and stone, which cannot see nor hear nor understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. And on that moment, in that moment, he says to Belshazzar, you've crossed the line. You may be the king of Babylon, but you cross the line with a holy God. It is possible for even you and me to cross the line of God's discipline. It is possible to come to the place, to the position that God says, enough is enough. I'm going to bring my discipline into your life. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says to us in that passage that God, out of his love for his children, will discipline his own children. A person who is born is not born into the family of God. Only a person who's born again becomes a member of the family of God. When a child is born, a little baby is born, they are a creation of God. But to be born again, to become a a child of God, you've got to come to God through his son, Jesus Christ. You gotta be born again. When a child is born into your home and you are the parent and you're raising that child, out of your love for that child, There are times in which you must discipline the child, you love that child, but you know if you don't discipline this child, what this child will grow up to be. And out of your love for that child, you'll discipline your child. And God says to us, I'll do the very same thing with my children. There are days that come in our life in which God disciplines us we cross the line. What does that discipline of God look like? It might be the removal of his blessings from our life. It might be that he allows us to get caught in whatever it is that we're doing in order for us to come face to face with our sin. It may be that he reduces his guidance or his strengthening of us us in our life or he removes his hand of protection or provision. But there is something that God uses to get our attention. So what is it that causes us to cross the line? One of the reasons is by being arrogant with God. The Bible says in James chapter four, verse 14, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. No matter how strong we are, no matter how talented we are, no matter how much money we have, no matter how much power we might have, God says I want you to remember that you're just a mist that comes and goes I'm asking you to follow me I'm asking you to walk with me and in that same chapter in James chapter 4 God says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble What does that mean? I mentioned it last Sunday that God resists the proud. What does that phrase mean? It means that to hold us at arm's length. There are times in my life in which I have disobeyed God, times in my life in which he's convicted me of my sin and he has called me back to him and I would push against him. I would say no to him and God would put me at arm's length and I would begin to feel that separation from him. God says, listen, when you are arrogant against me, when you, you resist the, the conviction of my Holy Spirit, I will discipline. There's another thing, and that is by forgetting that God is in charge, and that's what's happening with uh, Belshazzar. Listen to what happens in Daniel chapter 5, verse 23. Daniel says to him, you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. What Daniel is saying is, it doesn't matter that you are the king of Babylon. God is sovereign. God is in charge. He has absolute rule. And there is a day that God says, okay, now. I'm bringing discipline to your life. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 says, The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and exalts. Psalm 75, verse 6 and 7 says, For promotion comes from neither the east or the west or the south, but God is the judge. He puts one down and sets another Up there is a king of the universe. There is a God in charge. And there's a third thing, by living for other gods in our life, God disciplines. Daniel says in Daniel chapter 5 verse 4, and as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. We don't have gods like that. We don't fashion a God and then bow down to that God. Or do we? The truth is we can make a God out of our career. God, I don't have time for you. It's all about my career. We can make the money that we have a a God in our life or the possessions that we own a God in our life. Uh, We can make our power and authority in whatever realm we're in a God in our life. We can make our politics a God in our life. We can make sports a God in our life. Actually, anything in our life that we elevate into a position that says, God, I don't have time for you. I'm not interested in you. I am all about this becomes a God little g in our lives. And Daniel, as he's confronting Belshazzar, he says, listen to what has happened. Your arrogance. You're pushing God out of your life. You're setting up little gods and worshiping them. All of these things have brought you to this moment, and God is now going to get your attention. God knows how to do it. He knows how to get our attention. So notice what happens in the passage. Daniel chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. And suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall. Near the lampstand in the royal palace, meaning where everyone could read. And the king watched the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale. I bet so, and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. Can I tell you something this afternoon in my living room as I'm sitting there, if suddenly a hand appears, and by the way, I think the same is true about you, if suddenly a hand appears with no body and begins to write on your wall, I'm thinking it might make you a little bit nervous. And his knees were knocking and he was scared to death. And he said, I don't know what's happening. And he screams. This is what the scripture says. He screams and says, bring the wise men to me. Bring somebody in here to explain what's going on. And the hands wrote the words, many, many, tekel, parson. Well, when the wise men came in, they couldn't understand what the words meant at all. The reason is because the words were actually in Hebrew. They couldn't read Hebrew. And the queen says to the king, you know what, I do remember a guy. You remember King Nebuchadnezzar when he would have a guy come in and help him and his name was Daniel. It suggests to me that Daniel is sort of out of favor with with the new reign. And they find Daniel and they bring Daniel in to the room and Daniel sees the words. And Daniel then says in verses 25 to 28, this is the inscription that was written, mini, mini, tekel, parson. This is what the words mean. Mini says means God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tikal, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Here is the king of Babylon, the greatest empire on the face of the earth at the at the moment. But yet, this king could not do one thing because God had spoken. So I want you to think about what is happening to the story. Meaning, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. The truth is, God has done the same in my life and in yours. We know the love of God. We know the patience of God, the kindness of God. We wouldn't be here today if God was not a God of grace and kindness and patience. The love of God is the most powerful force in the universe. It is that love of God that has brought us into relationship with him. All of us wanna talk and wanna hear about the love of God and I want to too. But there's another aspect that the Bible teaches about the character and nature of God And it's simply this, there is a time of judgment that is coming. And what Daniel is saying to King Belshazzar, God has numbered your days, and the days have come to an end. One day for every one of us, that will happen for us. One day there is a patience of God that comes to an end in which God says, I have, my spirit has been convicting you. My spirit has been showing you this is wrong. You're going down the wrong path, but you've ignored me constantly and you will not change. And a day will come even for you and me in which God will say to us, the time of the conviction is over, and now I'm responding. That's what's happening with Belshazzar. There's a second word, tekel, which means you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Belshazzar, God has evaluated your life, and now is a moment in which God will respond. <clears throat> Can I tell you as a pastor I feel that in my own life. The Bible tells me in, in 1 Peter chapter five that I'm an under shepherd, that Christ is the shepherd and that I'm answerable to him. I think about that when I make decisions as a leader in this church. I, I think about what the, how it is that I am to live because one day I will give an account of my life to a holy God and I know that to be true. But that's true for all of us. Jesus said that one day you and I will stand before God and we will give an account of our life before God. And he told us this so that as we lived out our life, we would take that very seriously in the course of our days. And he turns then to Belshazzar and he says, Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians, and there is nothing you can do about it. So maybe you're asking, well, where's the grace? Where is this great grace of God? Listen to what the Bible teaches in Romans chapter two, verses four to eight. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness and his tolerance and his patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance? When Belshazzar heard Daniel, I thought Belshazzar would surely say, well, away with your head. But in chapter 5 of Daniel, Belshazzar somehow in his heart knows what Daniel has just said is true. And the craziest thing happens. He has Daniel standing in front of him and he calls for someone else and says, put, uh, 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 in essence, a necklace of gold around his head because he has told the truth. And the Bible goes on in Daniel chapter 5 and says, that night Belshazzar was killed. I don't usually preach messages like this, but it's right here in Daniel chapter 5. Paul Tripp is an excellent marriage counselor, and in fact, in Kathy and Mai's marriage, there have been several times in which, um, you know, we're struggling with each other, or there are some issues that we're trying to deal with as parents, and so there have been times in our marriage that I would go get a marriage uh, video series, and we would sit uh, over a span of time and, and maybe over we would do one video a week or one a night, and we would go through that video series, and we would just talk after the series was after the the video uh, uh, was played and uh, the, the lecture had been done, we would sit there and we would talk about it we would talk about how it is that we 're doing in our marriage and how Uh, we're responding to each other. And there were times in which we would go into that and I would be excited because I just knew God would fix Kathy by the time we got to the end of the series. But all the while, she was thinking exactly the same thing about me. And you know what God did. He fixed both of us. As we would go through the series week after week and we would, we would learn some truths about communication, about how we're to, to treat each other or how we're to, to raise our kids, we would talk it out and we would make changes in our life. And that's part of the way that we've lived our marriage after all these years. We've done two video series since I've been the pastor of this church and we've just talked through things and we have, we have uh, uh, been blessed by it and our marriage improved. Paul Tripp is one of those guys that we listened to his video series one time. Well, Paul Tripp was having his own problems. You see, everybody's human. And he was raising his children, and his son was a teenager. And he, he shared this story. His son was a teenager, and his, he was going through struggles and difficulties. And his son, when he was 16, 17 years of age, could drive himself, asked for mission, Can I go over to my friend's house tonight? And they said, sure, no problem. But actually, he lied to them, and he went to a party probably similar to Belshazzar's. And somehow, some way, Paul Tripp and his wife discovered what had happened. And it was obvious that God sort of blew the whistle on their son. When Paul said when he found out where his son had gone, he couldn't wait for his son to get home. He was going to rip into him. He was going to tell him what he thought. But his wife said, I think maybe we ought to pray. And as they were praying, she said to him, do you know the only reason that we know where our son is is the grace of God. God has shown us what has happened, and we ought to take that into account as we think about when our son gets home. Paul said it changed his whole heart. His son walked into the door acting like, oh, I've just been at my friend's house. And Paul said to him, do you ever think about how much God loves you? And his son said, sometimes. And he said to him, do you ever think how much God's grace operates in your life every day, sometimes even allowing you to get caught? Uh, His face changed. And he said to his dad, how did you know? Who told you? His dad ignored the question. And then said to him, you have lived your life in the light, and you've made good choices. But this weekend, you took a step toward the darkness, and you can live in the darkness if you want. You can learn how to lie and deceive like you did tonight, but the price you'll end up paying for it will be heavy. Or you can determine to live in God's light, and I'm pleading with you, don't live in the darkness, live in the light. And his dad turned around and walked out of the room, but before he got out of the room, his son said, Dad, don't go. And his son said, I wanna live in the light, but it's so hard, would you help me? There aren't a lot of kids that would have this reaction to this moment. My sister, one of my, I have two sisters, and the younger of the two, this is exactly how she would have responded. My parents could look at her just crossways just sternly she'd break out in tears and she would repent of anything but I wouldn't You can look at me crossly crossways and I'm not going to do it and my parents had to use different means with me as I was growing up But I bring the story to you simply to make this statement God's correction in our life sometimes is to allow us to get caught allow us to suffer for doing wrong, to allow us to go through the pain of what we have done. But it's actually an expression of God's grace and love for us. He is trying to rescue us, not destroy us. And here is what I want to say to you today. I've simply told you the truth of what the passage teaches. And I'm asking you, would you do what I'm doing? And let this be a moment in your life in which you step back and say, God, I am willing for you to speak truth into my life. And there is something if there is something that I'm doing that's wrong. Oh, God, would you turn my heart back to you? And I will listen to you. And I will repent. And I will come back to you. And I'm asking you this morning... Would you hear what God is teaching and open up your heart to him? Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and I pray, Father, for all those that are listening online and all of us in all of our campuses that are listening right now to a hard sermon, to a hurtful word, but a word we need. And I ask that you would move in hearts today to be willing to fess up to you. Willing to come to repentance to you, having heard a word from you. Move in hearts today. Bring repentance today in all of our lives. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.